For season three of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine, we partnered with Energer to create 18 episodes centered around creativity, marketing, branding, and innovation. With over 1,000 associates in 21 offices around the globe, Energer is a key member of the Omnicom Group and Omnicom Commerce Group, as well as the commerce arm of TBWA Worldwide. Huge thanks to Energer for helping amplify Black voices and narratives from industry leaders. I'm in Brooklyn still. It's been six years. Wow. wow. Six years. Six years. Well, That's six crazy. years in day. Tell me about it. Well, listen, I am so excited to have you on A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. And this is season three. So, you know, I had to make sure that we were kicking things off with some amazing guests. And so today I am excited to have Jasmine and Burrell on the show. Um, but before we dive into Jasmine's uh, amazing just background and journey in the creative industry, advertising, marketing, PR, tech, journalism, I mean, when it comes to <laughs> communications, uh, Jasmine is one of the people that has touched it all. I want to introduce our guest co-host for the season, Jimmy. Jimmy, how's it going? Tell the people at home a little bit about yourself. Hey, Justin. Um, so I'm Jimmy McDaniels. Um, I'm father, artist, um, local creator, but most importantly, I, I, I work um, I work for the Energy Group, and I leave the, the experience practice. Um, it's really awesome because the practice itself puts humans first just like this podcast, uh, we have the opportunity to kind of spotlight really, really amazing individuals and put a shade, put some light on, on humanity, on humans. Well, I love it. And thank you again for joining us. You know, there's been an interesting through line that I did not plan throughout this podcast, but maybe it's based on my early days being in Dallas, Texas, but all three of us have a Texas connection in some way. So I'm super excited to dive into that. But more about our guests. She is currently based in New York City, originally from Kansas City. Jasmine worked on the creative side as a seasoned brand strategist and created compelling work for some of the world's most iconic names. I mean, we're talking about Procter & Gamble, Cadillac, JBL, and so many others. She also leads her own creative practice um, that's named after her great-grandmother. So, I mean, talk about building. I mean, I can't wait to dive into that to learn a little bit about that. Most recently, Jasmine has been recognized as Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient, the Drum Future 50, as well as a nominee for Ad Colors Rising Star Award. And she earned her degree in strategic communications, which she's also going to talk about on this podcast and also a little bit about her education background. She has a minor in Spanish, which I'm excited to learn about, as well as classical uh, um what, was, what else was your um, minor in? Yeah, it was classical humanities. It's a very random one, but uh, so like wow. mythology, all of that stuff. And see, that's that's why she is the, the young goat, as I like to say. Jasmine Emberell, welcome to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. The sun is finally shining in New York, so I'm happy about that. So <laughs> it is a good Thursday indeed. Oh, my goodness. And tell me about it. I mean, I, one of the first things that I would love to start off with is, I guess, just your overall journey 
where, uh, yeah. where are you originally from? Yeah, no. So I was born in Wichita, Kansas. I was there very briefly. Uh, literally did not grow up there at all. Um, grew up in Kansas City where all my family is from. Uh, that is where I went to elementary school, middle school, high school. I stayed in the same school district. Um, a lot of times people are under the assumption that the Midwest is like, you know, very like, you know, a red state, very white. I grew up very, very black. My neighborhood has always been like that. Um, black school, black teachers, black neighborhood, like everything. Um, so that was like where I started. And then I went to the University of Missouri, Columbia for undergrad, which is um, a public, the pub biggest public university in the state where I studied the School of Journalism, which is a really esteemed program there. So definitely a, a Midwest girl through and through. So I love it. And, you and know, getting to New York was very random. I didn't have it in, in my plans at all, but, but we're here. We're here. You're there and you're thriving. And I mean, I love, I love it. it. I do love it. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. And just based on, you know, reading your bio, like I said, you touch PR, you touch calm, you yeah. touch advertising, you have touched tech. If you could walk us back to, you know, young jazz days from, yeah. you know, let's say, you know, early beginnings to like a teenager, is there anything that you could think about in those early days that you feel inspired you to land where you are today? Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. So um, I'm an only child for one, you know, grew up in like a single parent household. And one thing my mama always wanted me to do was learn how to like speak and to have a voice. That's always been very pivotal in everything. So when I was younger, she was like teaching me about public speaking and like books and like how to overcome the fear of that. And so in high school, I did debate. So I did um, debate and forensics. I was a national champion there, a state champion, a conference champion. I did oratorical speech. I did um, extemporaneous speaking. I did public forum debate, poetry, all sorts of things, Congress. Um, so all sorts of things. And I think, you know, I always had kind of wanted to be uh, someone that used that voice just across the board. And when I was about to go to college, I thought I would be in broadcast. I was in um, undergrad when Trayvon Martin happened. And I said, oh, this is not for me. Um, there's no way I could be on the news right now. I would absolutely be going viral. And I learned about advertising. And ironically, the first agency that I had went to go visit and that I knew about was VML uh, with John Cook, now VML YNR, uh, which is based in Kansas City. And um, I absolutely fell in love with the practice because it wasn't something that you really learned about, you know, like, you know, like in like in high school or anything like that. It's kind of something you fell into. But um, yeah, I was very active in high school, even aside from debate. I did tennis. I did cheerleading. I was a National Honor Society. So I did like a lot of things just across the board. So I was kind of a, always a very like a front facing person. Um, so it kind of was very natural for me. And so even when I started in advertising, I started off an account uh, because I really enjoyed like the client relationship aspect of everything and get into, you know, kind of be like the nucleus of everything and being able to talk a lot, like to talk a lot. So. Yeah, definitely. But it also sounds like you are, um, you know, you have mastered the craft of, of speaking and also just language and also words. Um, how has that informed your journey in advertising just from like a creative perspective, whether you're dealing with campaigns or you're even seeing the work that's put out there? Have you realized yeah those skills or tools playing a role in your thought process of like like communications from a marketing standpoint oh yeah and that's a great question i think you know something that is very unique to my experience is that when you are coming out of college you know you are immediately taught as um, a person of color in particular a black person the cold switch 
I am physically unable to code switch at all. Uh, when I would try to do it, I would sound nuts. Like I was like, I cannot <laughs> talk like this uh, at all. It's, so, it's tired. Uh, it's tired. It's, like, it's, I sound crazy. You bring up a good point though, because I think that even so many of our listeners, um, especially early in your career, you're kind of taught that to, to a little yeah, bit of an definitely. extent, right? But also at the same time, I think that you eventually reach a stage where you're like, this is the literally the most tiring and draining thing. It's exhausting. To do on top of my job. But but I appreciate you bringing that up. Continue. continue. Yes, I'm like, thankfully, I realized that very early. I said, oh, no, I cannot do this. <laughs> I, I am physically not able. And um, I think, you know, being that I started my actual like creative industry journey, um, in New York, where, you know, the culture is very, very different. You know, a lot of people here are like um, from like uh, like West Indian descent or like, you know, just like a little bit more like, you know, South Carolina, like the Carolinas or Florida. And so like my accent has always been like a point of contention that people like to talk about and like language and how it spoke. And I think that um, I actually like a couple years ago, I did like a, a large piece on this about like AAVE and how it's been appropriated by a lot of brands when it comes to marketing and how it was like being TikTok language and all sorts of stuff like that. And I'm like, no, this isn't that. But social media has kind of opened up a door and it, you know, you know, it could be either considered a blessing or a curse, um, opened up a door to where language is no longer kind of like pocketed in communities as it has been. And so when you're in that space and when you see, you know, like brands trying to utilize it without understanding the actual mechanics that go into the way that people speak and the languages that people have, um, and, you know, it's very clear when we see those brands where it doesn't it doesn't make sense to try to use AAV in their uh, spots, particularly on social media. And I think, you know, with that being the way I naturally speak, understanding that it is a very nuanced language and that I'm very articulate in it and that it has its its merits and that it is a, a you know a very official language um that has been very beneficial in the room and it also has been very helpful in like breaking down like you know client relationships and like building like comfortability levels which i think surprises a lot of people because a lot of people think you know oh you know you're coming in here and, you know you're speaking a certain way and you that you would automatically assume that it might be off-putting but that hasn't been my experience at all the clients feel very very uh, warm and welcome to it so I love it. I, I mean, what a thing to spot. What I mean, not not to say what triggered it, but are you saying that your research was basically how a, a little bit of how that like that particular language is criticized outside of advertising oh, yeah. and PR, but then it's used for yes. advertising marketing. Okay. Um, yes, people get awards for it. And it's like, and then it's crazy because when you have the native speakers in these agencies, they don't feel comfortable speaking like that. But they have people that don't speak like that making the copy, you know. So it's like, you know, it's it's a it's a very like you know jaded situation. And I think um, where I'm from, obviously, a lot of people talk like me. But again, being on the East Coast, where it's a lot more common for code switching to happen, especially in our industry, uh, it was very um, much a culture shock. I think for a lot of people and for myself included to see that brands are just like, you know, casually adapting this while knowing that I can't really talk like this if I was out in the street without being, you know, stereotyped. So. That's interesting. You know, I, I hear you speaking to that and I was actually thinking about your path, especially being on the account side. Did yeah. you ever like encounter like in an agency that misconception based on how you sound and not even judging how you move? You know, because you sound so dynamic and you're a multi-hyphen, right? Which is, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I just really wonder, like, when you're you're in a space, like, how, how did you combat that? 
That's that's a great question. I think um, I was really, 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 really lucky for my first agency to be a black agency. My first agency that I was at driving to New York was Spike BDB. So I had less of an issue there. Uh, when I went to my second agency, it was definitely a lot more of that. But honestly, it was less so with the clients and more so internal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming into a space, it was very, very different. And, you know, coming in as like an entry level person already, you're not from this area already. Uh, they don't understand the way that you speak already. Um, I've always said that it really comes in as like you go from office pet to office threat. Having like, you know, the slang is always cute when it's, you know, it's in the beginning. Like, oh, you know, I can talk to Jasmine about Housewives of Atlanta and she knows all these cultural things. But when it comes to the actual work being done, when it comes to clients actually respecting you and recognizing you and wanting to build a relationship with you and not necessarily them, it becomes more of a threat and it becomes a little bit more of an inconvenience uh, for them. Because I will say that, honestly, like most of my, if not all of my client reactions, I've been very lucky um, in that in that regard, because even if we want to be honest about what the agency landscape looks like, that the client side is a lot more diverse than the agency side is at this point. So I've had pretty diverse um, clients and most of like my agency partners, particularly when I was in account, were very monolithic, very much from the same group, had a certain level of, um, you know, expectations for what it meant to be account. And I did not fit into that. And I was very well received with that. And so it's cute until it's not, you know, they like hearing the the accent until they don't, when they realize that there is power behind what you're saying and that people understand it and they respect it. And that was a hump that I definitely had um, once I had left the safe space of Spike BDB and into kind of more of the traditional creative agency world after that, for sure. Love it. Thank you so much for breaking that down. I mean, we're, we're already taken away. So just look, Jimmy and I, give, give us a moment. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mentioned some of your accolades um a little bit earlier. You know, Forbes 30 under 30. Congratulations. You also yeah, you. a rising star nominee. And I've had the pleasure to actually, you know, be in your circle and work with you briefly on um a, a, you know, I think it was like maybe one or two projects, but I would love for you to talk about where does your get it done mentality like come from? Because even on those projects, I remember you being let's talk more work, like, okay, who's doing yeah. this? Who's doing that? And like, you get it done. But, you know, I think that a lot of people see your moves, your action and the work, but what, what do you feel like is the driving force behind that? And I know that that may be a bit of a loaded question or maybe you have no. the answer, but I think um, that is the reason that has led you to, to receive those awards and continue to receive the recognition because your name is connected with Get It Done. Can you break that down? Yeah, no. Um, you know, like to even just like break it from like from the foundation, it has always been my mom. My mama has mm-hmm. always motivated me. She's always encouraged me. Like I mentioned, she wanted to get me into public speaking. It was something that I wanted to do. She made sure that I was able to do it, even though we might not have had the means to do it. I was exposed to it. I would do everything there was to do in Kansas City, which obviously isn't much there is to do in New York. But if there was an event in town, if there was a museum, an exhibit, I was there. And so I really got a chance to have a really worldly view uh, when I was younger. I did like a lot of reading. And I think that honestly just kind of carried over. And I know that it's really easy for people to say that like, uh, you know, oh, you know, I'm just like a hustler. I'm like a hustler. A lot of it is kind of just like my personality, to be honest. And I think that it has been embedded in me. Like my mom has always taught me that the worst that anybody can say is no. 
So, you know, I'd much rather, like for, for Forbes, I applied. I just applied on, on a whim. I had got the, the drum award. I was nominated for act color. So I said, I guess I'm doing something right. Cause you know, it's really easy for you to think like, you know, you have imposter syndrome, like, you know, oh, this is, you know, this is great. But you know, I was like, well, I might as well try. It's my last year to get it. Um, and, and I think it, it honestly is really humbling though, because it's really easy when you are like living through life and you're doing stuff and you are going at it to forget what you're doing. And so when you actually take the time to like sit and like apply about awards and really reflect, it's really humbling to realize the work that you've done because a lot of times it's easy, particularly in the creative space and particularly in the agency world, to think about a lot of maybe like negative or not so great experiences or relate things very specifically to like just campaign work. But there's so many things that you do outside of that in this space and that you can do that is really easy to look over. And um, so I think, you know, for me, like my drive has always been like, you know, from my mom, always like supporting me, boosting me up, giving me the confidence and encouragement to do it. And that has just honestly always been the way that I am. And these past few years, been able to really sit down and think about what I've done so early in my career has, again, it's been very, 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 very humbling. And I think it is never for the, for the, you know, for the spotlight or for the accolades. These were very random uh, when I got them, but I think that I've been. Uh, no, they weren't really random. Don't, 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 no, no, so no, no, don't, don't discredit it. Do not say random. No. It was meant to be and happen. That's fair. Okay. okay. It was meant to be, but it was definitely something that like, you know, again, that imposter syndrome is very easy to creep up because you don't really get a chance to sit down and think about what you're doing. And particularly when you are in spaces that, you know, you do kind of have to fight for, you know, for what you say and for what you believe. And like, you know, it's, it's you know, it's very rough. I've also had a, a tough go of things in my career as far as management. I've had like a lot of different managers and like a lot of different jobs that I've had. So um, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of advocating for myself because I've had to. I haven't had a choice but to, uh, you know, escalate things or to, you know, address things on my own because I haven't had that support. So it's a blessing and a curse. But um, the fact that I have felt confident enough in my voice and my vision and my beliefs to do that, I think is definitely foundational from the way that I grew up. I love that. I mean, I'm going to double click right there because you have so much capacity I and mean, so much, you know, get to it. It's not it's not hustle. Get to it. You know, and it, it makes yeah. me wonder, like when when you're out and you're 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 able to tackle so much. How do you retreat, Jasmine? And how do you fill your cup from? from all the so many things, like I called you a multi-hyphen. That's the perfect word for you. You know, I just really wonder how do you like take two minutes in the beat and recharge and yeah. fill your cup? So that, that's a tough question because I don't recharge enough. I really love being on the go. I love being outside. I love being with my friends. You know, as a strategist, I love being just out and one with the world. I do. I have dinner in a little bit uh, tonight after this to celebrate a friend in his business uh, launch party. But, you know, when it is just me in the house, I love playing video games. I love just like watching TV. I like I watch the same old movies. I watch the same like 90s, 2000s action films. I watch Independence Day and Jurassic Park like they came out yesterday. Um, and those are like always like my safe spaces. I always find comfort in those um but but i really am always always on the go and i think that it's not necessarily intentional but i you know as an only child i think that also has a part of it is that i take my friendships and my connections very 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 seriously i like to nurture them i like to be there for them that's a part of my personality so that really is what makes me happy is making other people happy and like listening to them and that's one reason why you know i love being in this space 
um, you know, particularly in like a strategy role, because you really can, if you are, you know, a good strategist, you can listen to the business yeah. problems, but you can also realize, you know, the personal connection that people have with these brands and being able to see through that because so many, um, you know, people in this industry are very much just goal oriented. They miss the process. They don't enjoy the process and they miss the parts of the conversation along the line to get to that end goal. And for me, that's my favorite part is, you know, seeing, you know, people get happy about an idea or see them retreat and then wondering why they're retreating. Do they not understand the insight? You know, how did we get here? How did we get there? I love working with different personalities. And I think that, you know, to an extent that kind of is a release for me, but if it's for real, for real, for a release and I need to calm down, I'm just in the house uh, watching <laughs> Independence Day and playing Final Fantasy Nine on my Switch. So, hey, listen, hey, and also I appreciate it because you just took the podcast up. Anytime I can tap into my game, my gaming network, <laughs> we know it. So, you all hit up Jasmine. We got a gamer on. I love it. <laughs> I love gaming, and it's so hard to get into. You know, like on the East Coast for one, and then also you know being a black woman has been very tough. But I love, love, love gaming. It's definitely my passion for sure. Oh, that's great. I always like to say, you know, on my podcast, a lot of people ask because, I mean, I've had, you know, individuals that are just starting off, whether they're in college, listen to, you know, individuals that are senior level trying to jump into the C-suite, or as I like to say, C-suite executives listening that are trying to figure out, okay, what disruption is a do up to now? What is he talking about? Yeah, what is he talking about? Because you definitely talk about something always. I love it. But, you know, to that point, I would love for you for, for mainly our, I think our like junior and people that are just starting in this industry mm -hmm. to talk about how have you went about uh, building community within the industry? Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that like, you know, I, I think I may have even heard of your name from like Andy prior to me meeting yes. you. Yes, that's my brother. Yeah, you know, Marcus Grand Project or, and then like, you know, go, but, and then, like I said, we were working on the Snapchat thing and then the, you weren't on the call, but the people at Snapchat were just, you know, praising your name. And I think that says so much about how important it is to build community. How have you went about building community within the industry? And um, how is it important to you? That's an excellent question. Um, so my start into advertising is very, is a little bit different than um, a lot of, uh, you know, like, especially like young black talent. So I did not do any of the pipeline programs. I didn't do at Color Futures, I didn't do Marcus Graham, I didn't do MAPE, I didn't do MPMS. Um, I initially started off in Dallas. Um, I had an internship at Fleischman Hillard in PR, um, and I just got that just from like applying. I also had an offer at VML um, in Kansas City for an internship, but I went ahead and took Fleischman because I hadn't been to Dallas. It was a new city, it was something new. I had such a good relationship with John Cook. I said, I can always come back if I need to. Um, but I didn't do any of those programs. I kind of did it like the more traditional route. And then I had an internship in BBDO in Atlanta. That's always a funny story to me because I was making minimum wage. I didn't tell my mama at all that they were only paying minimum wage. She thought they were paying what they were paying at Fleischman. And I said, oh, well, you know, I got to move for an internship. And, she, and I got my first check. I found my roommate off Craigslist. It was a whole mess. And she's like, where is your money at? And I said, oh, I didn't tell you this. But, uh, but I was only there a couple months before I got um my job is spike but i was absolutely uh broke. <laughs> and i lived in um i don't know if anybody has seen snow on the bluff but i lived in the neighborhood for snow on the bluff but my office was in buckhead it was a chaotic mess but i was only there for a couple of months before i got the job at spike yeah and um it honestly wasn't until i got to spike you know where i met andy and you know where i met like you know all of like my colleagues there 
that I started really understanding what the community was really like, because again, I wasn't involved in those. So my community was really honestly them at first. And then when I started going from agency to agency, um, you know, my next agency was not um, a multicultural agency, but I have lifelong friends that I met there. I started to understand the importance of it, honestly, once I got to those spaces, because I had kind of was gifted that when I was at Spike. I was like, oh, this is my community right here. Not only are they in advertising and creative in this Spike Lee, but they're from New York. I'm not from here. So this is great. This is perfect. I, you know, I get all, you know, who am I, why am I so lucky? Um, but I realized again, as I got older in my career, how important it was, particularly for, uh, younger people that might not have been as, uh, far along in finding their voice as I had been as far along as like, you know, having opportunities that were rooted in blackness, like I had for my first job, um, how pivotal that was to me, you know, really enjoying my time in the agency world. And even when I got my job at Spike. Uh, that was on a whim. I reached out to the to the general manager on LinkedIn and I was like, hey, I would love to work here. And he was like, OK. And so I interviewed and I was like at 40K when I moved to New York. I'm real um, in 2016. <laughs> but uh, but but with that being said, though, um, back to the original question, Jasmine, your, uh, your, your, your job game is up there with Kiki Palmer. I don't know. We may have to call. We may have to call you Jasmine. Get to the bag barrel. I do love I do love a job hop, but I've been faithful to snap for a minute now. But um, <laughs> but I think that's kind of honestly a way that you build community. And yeah, the thing yeah. about the word community in general, though, is that it's always been something that I've been tied to, you know, being from Kansas City, like being from the Midwest. I have so many identities and communities that I relate to. And one thing I love about New York is that I accept it so freely here. And so the ad community was not something that I felt I needed to be a part of because I had so many. But again, mm -hmm. as I got further along in the industry and started seeing the importance of those groups and the, the way the role that they played for a lot of people that I was in these rooms with, um, it was very, very, very um, inspiring for me. And I think that if anybody can do them pro the, pro those programs, they absolutely should because they all have so much merit and uh, really do give you that opportunity to have a community. And I think the agency landscape is changing drastically. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of us are taking our voice back. A lot of us are taking our, our minds back and making our own shops and we're going to shops that are predominantly uh you know, multicultural. But uh, with that being said, um, it's unbeatable having people that, you know, have the same interests as you and um, the same passions as you and going through the same things that you are in the same type of environment. So pivotal, yeah. pivotal for real. Yeah, I, I was actually wondering something because as I hear you're, you're speaking and you're, you're talking, I'm getting excited because I, I have a little brown girl and the more I hear you speak, I'm in I'm just really at awe, and I wonder, you know, you're not afraid to go get it, you know, you know, like yeah. you see something you want, you go get it, and I love that about you. I, I mean, I love that, and I was just wondering, foundationally, is that something that like that was instilled early on with your mother? Like, don't ask. This is what you want. Here's oh, your yeah. dream. Reach as far as you want for it. And as I think about my little brown girl, I was just wondering, like, uh, can you unpack that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, first of all, like I mentioned, I grew up very black. So I mean that not only just like in the people I was surrounded by, mama was very intentional. I had black dolls. I had black books. We had black Santas. We had black everything. So I never once looked at myself as, uh, and, you know, as an outsider or that was never like a, the, the narrative that I had. 
I know that it's very common, or at least when I was getting into the industry, it was very common for a lot of young black people to say, oh, I want to get into advertising because I haven't seen myself. I could never tell that lie. I grew up seeing myself. Mama made sure that I did in a place like, you know, Kansas City, where it might not be the black Barbies are not as necessarily as easy to access um, or like, you know, where the black, you know, Barbie bedding is not as easy to see. And like, she would make sure I had Princess Jasmine stuff. Even when I was grown, she would still give me Princess Tiana bedding. Like, mama, okay. I mean, you know, I don't need that now. But, um, but yeah, it was absolutely foundational. And I think because I never really saw myself as an other and not only just as far as being black, but like seeing like, you know, my skin tone and, and everything that I read and that I consumed, uh, really made me confident in who I was. And like I mentioned, you know, after I had left Spike um, and had my agency experience after that, it was very difficult because, you know, that was my first time questioning myself. Like I knew what it was. I knew, you know, I knew everything behind what happened, but it was still tough, a tough pill for me to swallow. And I was really able to bounce back from that. And honestly, it made me more um, picky and it made me have a lot more discernment when I was going through my job search, I was very open about my experiences. And that's one reason why I fell in love with Snap. Um, the, my, the, my manager, that um, she, my, the first thing I interviewed with, I was very open. I said, I am not really trying to be in the game of having, you know, blonde haired, uh, blue eyed white women managers for real. I'm going to be honest. I haven't had the best experiences. And that's what she was. And she said, oh, you don't have to worry about that at all. And I didn't. But like, you know, I feel like when, one thing that I've learned is that um, you are the prize. It's very easy when you are a younger person coming into the industry to think, oh my gosh, I want to work at Snap or I want to work at Google or I want to work at Integra Group or I want to work at Deloitte. Like, so you think of these companies as being the gold star, but the talent is what makes those companies who they are. And so when you are in, I always tell people in the interview, like when you're interviewing, that's a mutual conversation. You should not just be, you know, reading the job description, trying to spit it back out. It's like you're a perfect candidate. Be very honest. Be very forthcoming about what you want and what you expect, even if you think that it's really small. You know, it's like, hey, every Tuesday is that, you know, I, you know, I do big brothers, big sisters. That's something that's really important to me. That's something that, you know, as a manager, you wouldn't, you know, have an issue with. Anything that you that you know is going to be a part of your day to day experience and means a lot to you, it should be brought up early on. And if a company can't meet those expectations, that's on them. And it's up to, and what's for you will be for you. And also with that being said, for any younger people uh, watching, um, that does not mean these companies won't lie because they will tell you, you, you can say, oh, I want you to do this and the other. They say, oh, and won't. So, but that also goes to pr prove though, that you really are the prize there and you realize that you do, uh, you know, have a voice. And I think that's been more and more prevalent now in not even just our industry. When we think about like, you know, about the Amazon unions and when we think about how, just across all facets of uh, corporate America, we're really taking that voice back and realizing the value that we bring to these companies. And um, it's almost like a renaissance and I'm really, really excited about it for sure. I love it. So she'll cool be good, call. she'll be set up. I know she will. <laughs> listen, yeah, and you, listen, they had the great resigna uh, resignation, but you're gonna have everybody quitting their job after they- Hey, look, just don't play like that. Cause I've been, I've been uh, up to that speed for sure. Yeah, definitely. Oh my goodness. Well, listen, uh, you know, nine to five, you're killing the game. Everybody knows that wherever you go, you give your all, but then five to nine, now you have kind of started, um, this, I would love to know more about your new initiative that you mentioned. And it's so sweet named after your great, great grandmother. So yeah. tell us more about that. 
Yeah, no. So um, my great-grandma, uh, Lizzie Della Figgis, she was originally from Mississippi. Um, she had nine uh, children. So we have a very, very big family. Um, my great-grandpa, he was in the military. They moved up from uh, Mississippi to Missouri. And she was always a very, very artistic woman. You know, she was she had a sixth grade education. Uh, she, you know, so she did not get it. She has to go immediately into the workforce. So she wasn't able to really tap into, you know, those talents like she wanted to. So she really used pictures and, and things to like speak and to communicate. And I think that really is, you know, very, um, you know, you know, uh, foreshadowing for, for what I do and what advertising is. And, Absolutely. um, you know, she was, I was very grateful to, you know, be able to know her as like a young child, um, you know, before she passed. And I really thought it would be important to tell that story because I think one thing about being a black American um, in the United States, particularly when I moved out here, is that there is such a, a stigma behind that experience and there's such a um, an embarrassment behind it. And I've never gotten it because, again, I didn't grow up like that. So, like, I've met some people like, oh, like, black history doesn't start at slavery. It doesn't start at this, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, y'all, that's not a, that's not an, uh, that's not a, a stain on us. You know, that's not for us. Like, that's not something to be embarrassed about. And um, so I felt, you know, like doing something to her honor was really, really important to me. Like, I don't subscribe to the, you know, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams or any of that. That is not, they were not dreaming about being in corporate America. I can assure you of that. Um, so <laughs> that is a guarantee. But yeah. um, I think it's very important to tell those stories and um, and being able to have those, uh, being able to tell those stories, being able to have that relationship to your roots and to the history that we have outside of what you read in the books, particularly as we see society is trying to, you know, get rid of having those conversations in general in school. So I thought it was really, really important uh, for me to do something in her honor. And with that being said, most of the projects I take on are with nonprofits or mm -hmm. uh, small black women or black men owned businesses. I do it pro bono. Um, if it's a big company, they do not get it pro bono, but all the small companies uh, <laughs> get it pro bono because I understand, you know, how difficult it can be to like, you know, get in a for talent. And most of those places obviously have missions um, that I believe in. And I think that also ties back to your original question, though, about community. Um, that is also what brings me back to that is that I feel like that always is a part of what I do because it, it's very easy to, you know, be at work. You know, I work on beauty. So, you know, OK, another mascara lens today. You know, you know, that doesn't really, you know, <laughs> resonate exactly with who I am and what I care about. So being able to have the, the luxury and the freedom to do stuff that I want to do after work that ties back to giving back is really important for me. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, on this season, we're saying uh, it's the refill you need. And we've been asking every one of our guests, what refill would they like to give the Black community, marketing, advertising, tech industry at large? Oh. So if there's a refill of anything that you feel everyone needs, what is, what is it a refill of? Oh, my gosh. A refill of... Oh, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've been, hey, we've been throwing a little monkey ranch with that I, one. Well, I don't know. Maybe uh, but whatever you whatever you feel, you know, we we yeah. you can't you can't say the same thing, but you know, someone said a refill of nature, someone said a refill of love, someone said a refill of compassion. I don't want to keep naming them, yeah. but just but just what are you feeling? What do you need a refill of? Maybe that's what everyone else, but you know, refill of blank. What's the word that I'm trying to say? I want to say a refill of confidence. 
Mm. And the reason why I say that is I think that particularly, you know, even though, you know, I'm kind of speaking for myself, but um, being in New York during the pandemic was absolutely insane. I stayed throughout the entire time. I did not uh, get a chance to go home. We didn't get the memo that everybody in Manhattan got to go to uh, Florida to their parents' houses. Um, so, and I think that, you know, in 2020 in particular, with the creative, uh, in the creative landscape, um, it was very popular to be black. That was when it was, you know, we felt like our voices mattered in 2020. I feel like, you know, that was when a lot of initiatives mm-hmm. were popping up. A lot of conversations were being had that hadn't been had before. And it is 2022. And a lot of those are gone. They are falling on deaf ears. We are fight- facing the same issues. I think it's really easy to have that, uh, bear weight on you. Because not only are you going through this in the workplace and like, you know, you went from being a shining star to kind of, you know, falling back into the background and being business as usual. But we are also dealing with the pandemic that disproportionately impacted um, our communities and uh, the weight of that. I feel like we all know somebody that knows somebody that, you know, that was negatively impacted by COVID and sometimes like, you know, uh, an unfortunate, you know, way that. So I think that being able, I think it's, it's, it's really hard for people to sit down and realize that's what's happened. But um, and I think that because it's hard because we're still going through it. Let's be clear. The pandemic isn't over. Yeah, uh, you know, we got to work every day. You know, we you know, we're going through, you know, this well versus raid right now. We just have to keep going and keep talking about work. And I think that uh, whether you realize it or like whether people realize it or not, having that boost of confidence and really sitting in and like, you know, gassing yourself up and telling you that, you know, you are enough. You are what you need to be. and You are where you need to be. And if not, you are free to go where you need to be. It's really, really important. And, um, and really just to sit with yourself to get that confidence back up because we've been through a lot as, as a world, as a country, particularly as a people and as an industry. And, um, and we have just keep going every day. We just have to keep waking up every day, not too many breaks. So. Yep. I think beautifully, beautifully said. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I see Jimmy shaking his head and, you know, yeah. we're going we're to go with that one, you know, a refill of confidence because, you know, so much of it too is um, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the positions that a lot of black creatives are in right now has really been because of confidence, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. they really, and, and them actually doing things their own way to get where they need to be and I do feel like there was a shift in 2020 where you're like yeah. wow I finally don't have to do this by myself and now maybe yeah. I have some support but the thing is some creatives and some just black industry professionals may have gotten too relaxed to where it's like no 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 you still yeah. you, you still you yeah. still gotta you know get it get it in and not think that you know that you're really gonna have the support in some cases you are not to say that it's not there but yeah not saying all of them are like that but a lot of them you know you know it is what it is exactly, but, um, exactly. And, and i think one thing that you know that i've come to recognize within like at least you know, the past year or so and we always known it but you know being like in the virtual space you really get a chance to see the differences a lot more in like our community so even aside from like the way people live, but like the things that they care about, things they believe, you know, we have been inundated with bad news and news, breaking news and everything day after day. And it's it's wild when you go to work and you see that there is no impact on, you know, the people that you work with, you know, the cost of spade is crazy. And I think that, um, you know, you don't want to bring it up, but like, you know, some things they do want to bring up, but some things they don't want to bring up. Like I remember I had a whole, moment at work where we've been going through so much stuff and people wanted to have discourse on uh will and chris rock and i snapped 
I was like, are y'all kidding me? Like, this is what y'all want to talk about. But I think, you know, it just goes to show that yeah, we the really priorities. Yeah, 100%. because we care about the culture because we are the culture and we are truly the postal culture and that that impacts us in a way that it doesn't need to impact um, other groups. And it's on our shoulders. And it's again, it's a blessing and a curse because it's like we get it. We understand it. We are it. We live it. But, you know, with it comes a lot of, you know, a lot of daggers and it's, and it's tough to, you know, go into to work every day sometimes and have that on your shoulders and. You just have to keep it there. And everybody else is talking about, you know, their weekend in the Poconos. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's great, you know. <laughs> but uh, that's definitely been something that's been on my mind a lot lately. Um, wow. And I think it's just been exacerbated further, as obviously, as we've been in this virtual landscape. Because it's easier to kind of, like, not really think about it when you're in the office because you don't have to talk to these people in, like, in that regard. You don't need to have small talk. But when you have to, it's, it's pretty eye-opening, for real. Well, you were talking about confidence and you were talking about like all the things that we're going through. We just came out of, right? COVID exhausted yeah. everyone. And even the transition to where we are now, where we're all virtual and we're seeing each other and yeah. there are times when you go in. My question is like, how do you, getting back to that refill, getting back to the confidence, right? Because our lines are blurred. Yeah. Right? If you think about it, right? Work is now where you are. And then yeah. it's also in, in a, in a 12 story or whatever story size building. So my question is like, how do you come back, turn it off, right? Yeah. And pivot? Because it can be a little tough, right? You talk about confidence, oh, yeah. you talk about just coming out of the pandemic and we're still in it, right? But right. I was just wondering like, how how do you do that? Some you know? people's confidence is all E, but I, I do like the reason. Yeah. So I'm like, so for me, I made it a point early on to keep up with a routine. I also am very lucky to have an apartment that has a living room space and a back bedroom space. So I don't, so I don't feel like super, super cramped, but I made it a point to make sure that I kept a routine. And in the beginning, it was very tough, particularly at snap because we were blowing up obviously because that was when, you know, the stuff was going on with Facebook and Supreme court. And then, you know, like, you know, TikTok wasn't profitable quite yet. So there was a lot going on. So we snap was booming. It still is. But those were long nights and that was very hard on me. That took a very much a toll on me. And I made sure in 2021, I'm like, nope, this hour of the day, you cannot book over unless you reach out to me. I'm keeping up with my routine. Like I'm going to be very strict about what I am. I am off the clock at this time. I don't do that late work. I would tell people, don't send me emails at 10 o'clock. We, we use Gmail. You can send a scheduled email. You can have it ready for 9 a.m. For a while, I had emails off of my phone so I can make sure that I unplugged because it is absolutely not easy. And I can 100 uh, percent recognize my privilege and, you know, being that I live alone is me and my cat saint. And I know that I have a space that I can, you know, that I separate in. But it is not easy. People with partners, people with roommates, uh, people in smaller spaces. But and you know so I'm like. Go outside and get some air. That's one reason why I'm always outside. Because I'm like, even then, I'm like, I got to get some fresh air. I got to be a part of the world. It's tough. Yeah. But I wouldn't even say, you know, I don't I don't know if you were saying privilege because you live alone or are you saying privilege because. Yeah, just because I live alone and because my apartment is larger. But, but you know what? I don't even know if I would say that that's a privilege because yeah. sometimes you living alone and I feel like some people having insight of the fact that you are by yourself. It's like, oh, yeah, that that is all that that, that one person is consumed that's with. That's true. Is you have mm -hmm. a life outside of work. Mm -hmm. 
and everything that's that you true. Told. You just told us you're about to go to your dinner party tonight. So I mean, <laughs> you know, you live That's living. very true. That's very true. That's very true. Thank you for clocking me because I will say in the beginning, it was extremely tough being yeah. alone doing all this was going on. And then not only that, I had started at Snap in January 2020. So it was like a whole new group of people, you know, that I really didn't get a chance to like bond with in the office. They did not look like me. So it was very, very difficult. New York was for real, for real on lockdown. Uh, there was no, you know, there was no just coming over and chilling. Everybody was terrified. There were sirens all day, all night. It was mm-hmm. very tough um, in the beginning. And I think, you know, with that being said, the only reason why I say privilege is that I just know the type of like space that I, you know, I know what was going on around me as far as in New York and the way the way other people I know were uh, in situations. But uh, that's a very fair point. And especially as an only child, I was like, oh, my gosh, where's my mama at? Um, like, you know, I need something. But, um, and I, but I will say that I was very lucky to, like, you know, you know, have, you know, my mama be able to call all day. Me and my friends would FaceTime throughout the day uh, and stuff like that. But that is very much a fact. It was very tough uh, in the beginning, being alone, especially, like, not being from here. We didn't get the memo. Like I said, the Manhattan, Manhattan people got to uh, leave the city early, so. And go and go it, to their boathouses. Boat, go, go to their boathouses in Florida. Well, listen, yeah, we, didn't we, are, about, we didn't know about the Florida calls. We didn't know about that. We didn't we didn't get that oh, list. We went on that list. Listen, we Jasmine, we are, at, we are at the end of the show. But if there's anything that I guess our listeners should just be aware of that you have coming up, uh, you know, personally or professionally, I know this is a risky. Some some people like completely confidential, so they can't share anything. Or even where can people continue to keep up with you um, if they want to connect? I am very easy to find on uh, LinkedIn on social media. I'm always leaving comments. I kind of, you know, I you know I'm out here, so I'm very easy to find there <laughs> and. Um, I love to engage and meet new people. I love to like help younger people, um, you know, and particularly as far as like looking over resumes, any of that stuff, I have no issues. And also this is something people have asked me a lot, which I also have no issue doing. If people are interested in like, you know, knowing more about the Forbes process and uh, what that looks like, I have no problem, um, you know, assisting in that application and just telling people how that was. Oh, well, listen, thank you. Well, you all heard it here first. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us on A Dose of Life. Your, um, I think your drive and your endurance. Um, I, I hope that people were able to feel what I have seen over the years. Like you mentioned, I mean, it's kind of like you just, you, you know, you, you landed in this industry and was like, you know what? I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to continue to move forward. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I'll never... It's kind of like my mom used to always say to me, you know, you'll never understand unless you're truly a parent. And I, I feel that same way mm-hmm. about anyone that is the only child. You won't understand unless you are an only child. But yeah. Like, you have literally not only dominated the industry so far, but also created community for yourself. So I'm excited yeah. about what's next. So thank you so much for joining us. We really thank you so you. much for having me. This is this is such an honor, such a pleasure. And yeah. I appreciate it. Definitely, definitely. And thank you all at home for listening to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. Please continue to tune in week over week. We have so many exciting guests um, on the show that we're excited uh, for you to join. And as always, remember that you deserve a dose of black joy and caffeine. Take care.